Bringing together um, parables of Jesus and Psalms and doing one every other week. So to alternate between certain parables of Jesus and um, <clears throat> certain Psalms, which we're going to look at in just a second. We're going to do a Psalm this week. Now, I was slightly unsettled by the amount of people that looked like they wanted to go out and be with the kids' work after <laughs> Dan and Alex's uh, amazing, um, well, whatever you call it, I don't know what it was, but amazing thing that they did. I was, uh, it wasn't just people explicitly mouthing to me, we want to go and be with the kids. It was just a general look of kind of envy and sadness, um, <laughs> all those that weren't kids' workers. So just, I just picked up on that, and it really made me feel good. So thanks. I uh, just wanted you to know that. Um, Okay, <laughs> if you have a Bible with you, you want to turn to Psalm, so book of Psalms, Psalm 121. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, maybe church, Christianity is a new thing to you. Psalms are in the middle, pretty much, so open it in the middle and you'll be roughly there. If you find yourself in Job, go a little bit further ahead. If you find yourself in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, go a little bit backwards and you'll find the Psalms. Now there's a particular group of psalms that go from Psalm 120 up to Psalm 134 that are known as the Songs of Ascents. I just want to spell that word for you because it's one of those words that you think, did he mean sent? That could mean any kind of things. A-S-C-E-N-T-S, the Songs of Going Up, the Songs of, uh, uh, the songs of uh, Gradual Moving Upwards, if you like. Now no one knows why they're called this. There's lots of speculation and it seems to me that the most... Credible speculations are, are these two. Number one, uh, that they would be the songs that the Israelites would sing on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great feasts. There are a number of great feasts throughout the year whereby the Israelites that were scattered all around would make their way to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a city on a hill. Um, and, so, and so they would ascend towards Jerusalem uh, singing these songs to really break the monotony of the journey. How many of you have um, been on long journeys and uh, the songs come out at some point, right? You're like, man, we've got to do something, let's sing. Um, uh, and so the Israelites, is a similar thing. Now the Israelites would often as well travel at night because in that part of the world it's so hot during the day, it's not uncommon to um, actually rest during the day and travel during the night. And so as you can imagine, there was also a sense of insecurity, a sense of, are we safe? Um, and so these songs would bring great comfort to them as they sang together. And so that seems to be one of the, one of the very plausible uh, reasons why it's called that. And secondly, it seems like um, both in each, in each of the psalms individually, but also throughout these 14 psalms, that there's a sense of gr- gradation. Um, you're coming out of something not so great into something great. And uh, they, have a, they have that kind of stepping out with them to them as, as psalms. And so those, those are the two options that we can live with. Let's enjoy both options and say we don't need to know which it is, but both seem to work and seem to be encouraging and good. So let's, let's read together Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He 
will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's the word of God. Father, thank you for this beautiful psalm. We pray that it would live in our hearts today. God, we just confess our need for you. We confess that, Lord, unashamedly. Uh, We don't feel that it's somehow uh, an inappropriate thing to say, Lord, we need you. We need you. We need your truth to fire up our hearts. We need your truth to set us free from those things that would try to enslave us. So God, I pray that we would step out today. As we look at this psalm, that you would walk us out of fear, particularly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wanted to give this message a title, let's call it Stepping Out of Fear. Um, You see, the first line, I think, is often misunderstood. I would say, I, I, I have misunderstood it in the past. It says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? The old translation, um, whence, whence, whence comes my help? Now, I think I've seen that in the past as I look up to the hills. I'm kind of looking upwards and, you know, it's not that God lives in the hills, but kind of the hills are up there. And traditionally we think of God as up there. So I'm looking to God to come and help me from the hills in some way. Um, That's probably not what's going on. Probably what's going on is this. The man's just about to set off with his family to Jerusalem uh, at night or dusk. And he looks up at the hills and he thinks, flip. (laughs) Anything could happen. He's suddenly aware of his own frailty, suddenly aware of his own vulnerability. Uh, Anything could be lurking there. Wild animals, robbers, bandits, landslides, flash floods. It's a journey that really does uh, hold lots of unknowns. And it's like, I look up to the hills and my response is, I need some help. Anyone relate to that? (laughs) I need some help. And the beauty of this psalm is that really what is required of us is very, very uh, minimal. What we need to do is, uh, first of all, say, I need help. And then find God. The rest is all about him and what he will do. Okay, so I love these psalms that bring great comfort to us. They're all about the activity of God. All, all that is required of us is to recognize our frailty. Now, this is something very beautiful you need to understand is that um, many worldviews or many, many different religions in the world they view life cyclically. That is a cycle, the circle of life, etc. Um, Buddhist, Hinduistic, etc. It's kind of seen as a cycle, including reincarnation. The Hebrew mindset is completely different. There's a beginning and there's an end, and then that's it. We stand before God. That is the biblical mindset. Okay? It's, an, it's, it's a story. It, it's linear. It starts there and it ends there. It's not cyclical at all. It's a journey. And so in many ways, this journey that this Israelite is about to make to Jerusalem, um, it, he, he, he's singing about his journey to Jerusalem. But there's another level going, another layer where he's saying this is life. Life has got some very unexpected twists and turns. The reality is this. You do not know what's going to happen. Do you remember our first preacher of 2010? James 4, you don't know what a day will bring. You do not know what a day will bring. Brought home to us the next day when Davina found a tumour in her body. Brought home very vividly the next day to us. You don't. 
And you can try and control things and make it so that everything works out just how you like it. But here's the sober truth. You don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. We're at the mercy of so many things that are external to our own control and ability. It's just the way it is. Um, now, you can, you can respond in different ways. You can just kind of blank that out, or you can just go into crazy, naive optimism, or you can go and get drunk, or you can say, I think I need some help here with potential fear. Um, I wonder where it might come from. Well, this psalm helps us with that. You see, there's many sources of fear. Many, many. Let's just be real today with it. There's many, many sources of fear. The unknown just freaks some people out. I was walking out today to have a little pray, and um, I saw this woman walking the other direction from me, and she went, and I thought, well, that's a, what, what caused that? Then I saw the black cat run across the road. And I thought, oh, there's an interesting mix of superstition and Christianity. How about that? You know, and it's just, and it was just, it was, oh, that's a funny one. And, um, uh, because since I got saved, I, I love walking under ladders deliberately and all of that, you know, just to sort of demonstrate my freedom from all that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's kind of, but I do, but it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm saved, you know. But there was just this, oh, look, and there's, there's lots, of, lots of little fears, just the unknown. A black cat crossed my path, might something happen? A sense of weird, I don't know, where are the stars positioned? What could that mean? That just fears, anxieties, uncertainties. Maybe there's things you, you fear relationship breakdown. You fear growing old and lonely. You fear, like, you know, what might happen in that situation. It's looking tense at the moment. You fear about jobs. You know, there's 20 of us in our department and 10 are going to go. Is it going to be me? And constantly these things can just come in and undermine peace. Uh, uh, now, someone might say, you know, Christians always seem to be talking about overcoming fear. What, what is it with them? Well, maybe it's this. Maybe it's that Christians get to be honest. Maybe it's the Christians just get to be able to live honestly and, and not just kind of pretend that uh, they're invincible, not to pretend that they actually never have fears, but they, they get to be honest and then they get to walk through it with God. How cool is that? They get to walk through their deepest fears with God, who says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That to me sounds like life to the full. Doesn't sound easy? doesn't sound always, you know, it doesn't sound predictable, but it sounds like an adventure with God. Where I don't have to just pretend and go to things just for false comfort to try and uh, crowd out the fears, try and push them out or push them down, just go to weird, bizarre, strange kind of comforts that are in either inappropriate or immoral or just unreality. I don't have to do that. I can say, here's the deal, I'm struggling in this area, in this area, and I'm feeling fearful about this, fearful about that. God, walk me out of this fear. God, help me to walk into your freedom. That's what he wants for us. He's good. He's good like that. So I want to look at today, what is the Christian promised? What are you promised if you're here as a believer? If you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you don't actually know Jesus. You may be churched, if you know what I'm saying there. You've been to church a lot, maybe you haven't, but you don't know Jesus. What, if you was to know Jesus, what is, what is he promising you? Here, here is what he's promising. Help. He's promising to help you. He's promising to really help you in a profound way. Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Omnipotent help. Do you know what omnipotent means? It's a theological term. There's three omnis to describe God. Omniscient. He knows all things. 
omnipresent, he is everywhere. Omnipotent, he can do all things. Nothing is outside of his reach. Okay? Nothing. No situation is too far gone. Okay? No situation too complex. No situation too dark. One of my favorite scriptures says this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. He reaches beyond it and he pulls out and he redeems and he makes good. That which was hopeless, that which was broken, that which was destroyed. He reaches in, he bears his arm and he makes it good. Okay? Omnipotent help is what is being promised here. The help of the creator and sustainer of all creation. The help of your father. It's not just out there. Transcendent is imminent. Your daddy, your Abba father, your father in heaven. If you're a believer, he is your father. In one sense, you could argue, in a general sense, he is all our father in terms of free creation and stuff. But there's a very real and powerful and much more intimate sense of God being your father when you become a Christian. Because he adopts you and his spirit of adoption and sonship comes to live inside of you. And you know him now. God is no longer a vague phrase that's out there somewhere. He's your God. He's your Abba Father. That inside of you cries out, Abba Father. What a privilege. What an honour. So omnipotent help is promised. You get the ability and the willingness of God that combine and it's a potent cocktail. But notice what the psalmist is doing here. He's speaking to himself. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about this, haven't we? The importance of being able to speak to yourself if you're a Christian. If you've not been here for a couple of weeks, you're thinking, what's happened in the last two weeks? They've gone crazy. Speaking to yourself is not the first sign of madness. It's the first sign of sanity. If you can take yourself in hand with the truth of God, if you can stop listening to the rubbish and the nonsense and the lies that are coming in and begin to hold up your shield of faith and actually speak what is true, you come into a place of sanity and a place of order in your thinking and in your living. He speaks to himself. He says, from where does my help come? He's about to set off on a journey. Maybe he's got a wife and little ones and there's members of the family that are vulnerable and he's thinking, from where does my help come? Then he tells himself, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Can you say that? If you're a believer, you can say that. And I would, say, I would say to you, don't just say, oh great, I can say it. Say it. Say it. Listen to this beautiful story. A number of years ago, Captain D, I, that's not his name, but for whatever reason in the record they just put D, maybe they were trying to protect his identity, commanded a vessel sailing from Liverpool to New York, and on one voyage, he and all his family with him were on the ship. One night, when all were quietly asleep, there arose a sudden squall of wind, which came sweeping over the waters until it struck the vessel and instantly threw her on her side, tumbling and crashing everything that was movable, and awakening the passengers to a consciousness that they were in imminent peril. Everyone on board was alarmed and uneasy, and some sprang from their berths and began to dress that they might be ready for the worst." Captain D had a little girl on board, his daughter, just eight years old, who of course awoke with the rest. What's the matter, said the frightened child. They told her a squall had struck the ship. Is father on deck, said she. Yes, father's on deck, they replied. The little thing dropped herself on her pillow again without a fear, and in a few moments was sleeping sweetly in spite of winds or waves. Her dad was on deck. Your Father in heaven is omnipotent. Nothing is outside of his reach. 
Now, we are going to get on to the intricacies of what protection from God actually means this morning. It's very important that we do, okay? But for now, I want you to understand that this is really clear. God it makes himself available to his people as their helper, and he has all power. That is an incredibly privileged position to be in. Verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. We are introduced to God as the keeper of Israel, the keeper of his people, our keeper. It's a beautiful image. It's the word is used six times in the rest of the psalm. And there's a promise made here. He will not let your foot be moved. You know, on these travels to Jerusalem, I'm sure there would have been times where the path got very narrow and there were and it twist and turn probably around mountains and where there were uh, sheer drops um, just off the edge. You know, it's a bit like the Christian life. Jesus said it's a narrow road. If anyone tells you, so why, you know, yeah, no, come on, come on, and kind of figure out your own kind of following Jesus in it all, and they're, they're, they're selling you something that is not authentic. Jesus said, the road is, the way is narrow, the, the way is tight. Make that up, didn't I? It's not tight, is it? It's narrow and another word that's similar to it, but I can't remember it. The way is narrow and the road is narrow, it leads to life. All right? They're both narrow, all right? but you use different words. It's narrow, that's the point. Okay? There are, you, and you're aware of it, you feel it as a believer. You feel it. You feel this, at times it feels perilous. You feel like, man, there's so many offers and options for me to do this or to do that, but my conscience will not allow it. I know that I'll be compromising. I know that if I did that, I've fallen into mistrust of God and unbelief. I know this is the way, but it feels very, very narrow. He will not let your foot be moved. As you follow him on that narrow footpath, you're not to be concerned. You know what? Any minute I could slip. Well, according to the law of averages, yes. But he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He will not let you be caught unawares. He will keep you. He will keep your feet from falling, from slipping. He will keep you from tripping. This is what is being promised here. Now, I want us to really unpack this word, keep. What does it mean? In the, he, in the Hebrew, it means hedge. He will hedge you. He will hedge you around. He will put a hedge around you. That's what he's being, that's the literal word there. And the word was used for like a, a guard or a night watchman. So you've got the Israelites traveling at night towards Jerusalem and they've got a night watchman. They've got a bodyguard, okay? And his name's the Lord. Now you've got, I tell you, you've got to work this one through in your life. I probably told this story before, but it's, I think it's appropriate. Um, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But shortly after I became a Christian, I, uh, I lived in a place called Welling in Kent. And um, my friend said, do you want to start coming boxing with me in Woolwich? I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then I thought, oh, no, I can't. Because I had, I had numbers of people in Woolwich that were basically after me. Because um, bear in mind, I'd only just recently become a Christian, 18 years of age. And a f- couple of years before that, I just... just got into some stuff that was really unhelpful. And, um, and it had backfired big time. And there were some people that really uh, were around the area. And if they saw me and recognized me, it would have been bad. And I was like, oh, man, actually, do I want to go? And then I remembered in my new church, there was this guy who was huge. And he used to be a boxer. And I thought to myself, if he came with me, I'd go to Woolwich. That was my kind of... And I remember in my bedroom one night thinking, how can I get Derek to come with me? And there was that moment where I felt God... It was like God just said... You know, am I not bigger than Derek? You know, and it was just, it wasn't like I heard the words, but it was that thought came so clear. I was, I was convicted where I was of having a dim view of God and a very big view of people. 
And if there's something we need medicine for, it's that. Because it really is a horrible disease. To have a very big view of others or yourself and a very dim view of God. I tell you, it's a killer. Kills your soul. And I remember God just bringing that to me and I'm like, what am I thinking? And I started going boxing in Woolwich with the Lord as my bodyguard. Yeah? You've got to work, and the point is you've got to work it out into your decisions. You can't just sing it. Because if you just sing it and don't live it, you know what happens, don't you? Over time, you stand there and you're singing and you're thinking, do you know what? I don't believe this anymore. Or do you know what? I can't think of the last time I actually applied this. And it becomes unreal. And you get disillusioned. And you, rock, and you just start thinking, why do I even go along on a Sunday? I mean, you know, I'm, the rest of the week, I'm not living it out. And it just it erodes the, the work of God in your soul. And you know, I want to say this to you. Understand what is being preached today and live it. Take God at his word. I love this testimony today. Everything's going pear-shaped, but God, you say you're the provider. You say if we put you first, then you will honour that. We're going to keep doing it. And then you, get a tes- then you get a testimony, yeah? Then you get a story. That's how the stories come, by holding on to God. Verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Those two words there, why do they slumber and sleep? Well, it seems like one of the words means intentionally go to sleep. I am now going to bed to sleep. God doesn't do that. Hallelujah. The other one is the one I'm more prone to, which is that one. When you just find yourself falling asleep. Heavy eyelids, drooping head. I think there's a, there's a sweepstake going on in my house at the moment. I think there's going to be, someone's going to win like Euro, Euro lottery numbers when I stay awake through a whole film. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I ever have since the kids have been alive. It's like, uh, if I can get halfway through, that's great, you know. But I, I get cosy, and then, you know, and then you're watching the film, and then suddenly what they're saying doesn't make sense because it's mixing with your dreams, and it's just a lovely thing. You want to just carry on, you know, and, and then, you know, you wake up, and it's like... Uh, uh, and the credits and you're like yeah good good movie you know that's how that's how I live I mean you know I've done you name it I've, I'm, I can sleep anywhere I've woken up on a rush hour train dribbling alright I've really done that okay I'm just one of those the Lord never does that okay he never and it's so important that you get it because sometimes it's tempting to think is he, is he interested is he awake to my cause he really is and it's important you know that because your enemies never sleep either. There is a very real enemy called Satan, and he never sleeps. So it's great that God never sleeps, right? Yeah? And it means you can sleep. It means you can watch half a film with your kids and sleep to the other half and know that you're safe. But it, I will say this to you, it means you can go to bed at night and sleep. Why? Because he, when you are helpless, when you're sleeping, you are helpless, aren't you? I mean... You're just helpless. He is looking over you. He is watching over you. He care, he's, he is alert as a night watchman. Standing over you. Incredible. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We're going to preach that in a few weeks' time. He gives to his beloved sleep. You can rest. You can rest because he is watching over you. When the prophet Elijah challenged the uh, prophets of the false god Baal on the top of Mount Carmel, 
And the prophets of Baal, the idea was that they set up like this kind of um, sacrifice. And Elijah said, whichever God answers by fire, he's the true God. And so he let the prophets of Baal go first. And so they're dancing around, screaming, praying for hours, piercing themselves with their spears and whatever else crazy stuff they were doing. And nothing's happening at all. And in the end, uh, uh, Elijah says this to them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. You can never say that of the Lord. Never asleep. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. It's rooted into the fact that he's a creator and sustainer of all things. He's of a different order. Listen to this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, the stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. You know how many stars there are? Oh my goodness. Crazy numbers. Numbers you can get your head around. Calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? He's asleep to me, he's asleep to my cause. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. This is God, this is the God of the Bible. It's so important that we understand this. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord is your shade. He brings refreshing, refreshing to you. I remember being in the Atlas Mountains once in North Africa and the heat was sweltering. And then we climbed up (laughs) this mountain and suddenly we we came across this little stall in the middle of nowhere selling Coke and Fanta. (laughs) But he's like sort of Bedouin people. And you say, whoa, what's going on here? You know, and suddenly you just think, refreshment. Here's your shade at your right hand. Right hand means favour, shade means rest. Because he favours you, he wants you to live in his rest and refreshment. This is, the, this is what God has for us. Let's go to verse 6 to 8. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And this is where we're going to try and work through some stuff together. Because... There will be many of you probably sitting here thinking, what does it mean again that God promises to protect? What does it actually mean? What can I actually believe him for? The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I had big difficulties with this this week. I want to be honest with you. I thought, I don't know how to preach this. I don't know what it means. Now, when you're faced with that, you can do one of three things. You can change the meaning. (laughs) Bit cheeky, really. But you can think, I'm not sure I believe this, so why don't we make it say something else that I can believe? Yeah? Lots of people do it, and they write books as well. (laughs) And they get sold in Christian bookshops. It's true. So when he says the Lord will keep you from all evil, I mean, you know, maybe it just kind of means that, you know, I don't know, he might, or, you know. And you just dull the thing down so it's manageable. Or you can just preach it but you don't really understand it, so you just shout really loud while you're preaching and hope no one asks any questions, okay? You say, the Lord will keep you! Let's sing a song, let's sing a song, keep the songs going, no pauses, right? Because you think, no one had better talk about what this means because I don't know what it means. Or you can say, God, please, please help me to understand this because I've got to preach this to some people this weekend and I don't know what it means. So I did the third. And I got, I got a moment in God, hallelujah, Friday morning, um, Friday morning, yeah, it got on pretty late, and uh, 10.30, and I, I actually ran around the office when I saw it, 
doing a, a celebration, a football celebration, because I saw it. I got it. Um, so, and what? Yeah, I did. I was. It was. It was a wonderful moment. Um, uh, and when you're an introvert like me, you haven't got to share him with anyone. You can just enjoy running around the office. It's great. So, okay. So let's go to Job for just a moment, shall we? Um, because Job was a man of God. Job loved the Lord, and the Lord kept Job. Or did he? <laughs> so let's look at this together. Because I'm thinking, okay, keep, keeping means, it means hedging. It means hedging. And I'm just throwing it around. What does that look like? And suddenly I remember there's a hedging discussion in Job. You know, by the grace of God, it just reminded me, there's some talk about hedges in Job right at the beginning. So, um, so what we find is, now just a quick, uh, just give a quick background if you're not familiar with the book of Job. He was one of the richest men in the East, godly man, upright man. And then um, what we find is that on uh, chapter 1, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God, that means the angels, different angelic beings, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face and the Lord said to Satan behold all that he has is in your hand only against him do not stretch out your hand so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord what then happens is that basically all of his children are killed in attacks and his whole business is destroyed okay chapter 2 verse 1 Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. Then Satan get, uh, sorry, Job gets struck with boils from head to foot. And, um, and what follows in the next lots of chapters are basically Job trying to work out what the heck has happened. And his friends come along and they look like great friends for the first week because they just sit in silence with him and just mourn. And you think, that's friendship. But then they start talking, and as often happens, when they start talking, the problems begin. Because uh, they begin to say, do you know what? You must have done something wrong. There's no way this could have just happened. And he's like, look, I'm not perfect, but I didn't, you know, there's no, this isn't linked with any sin. It just happened. And that, that is basically the, the whole, and Job's constantly crying out to God saying, why? What is going on? And, uh, and then what happens is uh, uh, there comes a point where God just appears to Job in an incredible way. And gives him a, a really a, uh, just a, never answers the question. So Job never knows what went on behind the scenes here. Okay? God never answers, but he just shows Job his glory through creation and all other things. And, and Job ends up just saying, I repent, you know, I repent. And uh, I just, I sit in the ashes and I'll speak once, but I won't speak anymore. I put my hand over my mouth. Behold, I'm, in, I'm insignificant, you know. And he's just, he's just seen God in his glory. He's had a revelation the wonder of God 
and he's undone. And then at that point, he's totally healed and God more than restores all that was lost. Now, I want us to look at the dynamic of what happens here and just help us to come to terms with it. Notice what happens. God says to Satan, have you seen Job? Job says, look, you put a hedge around him, no wonder he's godly. So God says, okay, fine, and permits Satan some space, some room to act. But notice, as soon as he lets that hedge down, he puts another hedge up. Notice, it's very important to notice that. That hedge comes down, okay, touch, touch what you like, but don't touch the man. Boom. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your hedge. Then Satan comes back again and says, yeah, okay, fair enough. He's responded in a godly way, but skin for skin. His health, you, you know, you deal with that and he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, we'll take this inner hedge down, but boom, we're putting another one up. Strike him, but not his life. And what you see in it all is that the Lord is your keeper. Now, what if it had gone to the final stage? And God had allowed horror of horrors, Job's life to be taken. What would have happened? Okay, hedge would have gone down, Job's life gone, then what? Boom, Job with God for eternity. Totally forgiven, totally restored, totally renewed, totally redeemed. The Lord is your hedge. When one hedge comes down, there's always another one that comes up. And this is the point where you need to say, God, you're not just all-powerful, but you are, and not just good, but you are all-wise. You know what hedge to bring down, and then where to put it up newly and freshly. Satan can only do what he has permission to do. I want you to notice something that you wouldn't notice from the English rendering, but in chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Actually, it says this, Behold, he is in your hand, only hedge his life. It's the same word. Satan is God's handmaiden. Satan serves the purposes of God. He's under the sovereignty of God. So God says basically, okay, we'll take the hedge down and we'll put another one up. Oh, by the way, Satan, while you do that, you put the hedge up. Okay. Do bad things happen to believers? Yes. Is it unhelpful, incorrect, and trite to say that the reason that happened is because of their lack of faith? Yes. There may be times where believers, through a willful kind of unbelief and lack of faith, get themselves into all kinds of trouble and pickle, and then they need to work that out and repent and all of that. But there are other times where things just happen and something far bigger is going on. And at that point, what, 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 what do you know and what can you say? The Lord is my keeper. The Lord, and, I will not, and he will not let my foot be moved. And for us this year, obviously, it's a very current theme for us. Obviously, coming through the whole cancer thing in 2010, it's been, it's, been an, it's been an incredible journey on that front. I felt from, from day one, that was, I remember when we gathered at the prayer meeting to share the news about Davina, and I just said, let's just look at the story of, of Job here, because, not that I can compare what happened to us, to him, but in terms of principles, sovereignty of God is never undermined. The goodness of God is never, ever undermined. Ever, the whole time. He's, God is completely over the whole thing. There is real tragedy in the story. All of Job's children die. 
And you think, man, did that have to happen? Well, I want to ask you a question. Over, over the three or four thousand years since the book of Job was written, um, how many people do you think have benefited from it, from the account? Millions? Millions. Millions have understood something of the mystery of God and the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God through this story. And there are times where tragedies happen and you don't exactly know why, but at that point you have to say, God, I am going to bow the knee and trust that you are my helper and you are my hedge. And if that foundation is not in you, then you will do well following Christ only so long as things are going well. Only so long as things are easy. And as soon as a trial hits, you will be utterly disorientated and you'll probably spin off somewhere or the other. You'll get bitter, resentful, angry, disheartened, discouraged. And Satan will just, as you begin to just orbit out, he'll just start trying to pick you off. You need to understand God's goodness, God's sovereignty, God's wisdom cannot be undermined cannot be put to the side. He is a good, gracious God. There was a missionary to Burma in the 1800s called Adoniram Judson. He says this, He has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. It's interesting, he talks about God's tender leadership of him. He lost two wives. Two of his wives died. Five of his children died. He spent uh, over a year in torturous conditions in a Burmese prison. Interesting, isn't it? He has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. His expectations of life were not that it would be comfortable, predictable or easy, but that God would never leave him. Never leave him. And God never did leave him. What should this do in us? It should, I don't know how many of you watched the news last night. I, I, I'm not going to pronounce the lady's name because I'll get it embarrassingly wrong. But Aung the, San Suu Kyi. Say again. Aung San Suu Kyi. Aung San Suu Kyi was released from house arrest. Those of you who don't know who she is, she has, over the last 21 years, has spent 15 years under house arrest in Burma for her um, vocal protest against um, the military rule there and stood up for d- democracy. And, um, and she was... Um, she was released from house arrest last night in, in, in a very dramatic and amazing move. And they showed an interview uh, of her as she was under house arrest. And she said this, she said, I feel like I am freer than a lot of the people in my country because I'm not afraid. She said, because I don't fear them, I find myself to be much freer than a lot of the people outside that are trapped by fear. I thought, there's an insight. There's an insight. Listen to John Calvin. This is quite humorous. He was around in the 1500s. How few are to be found who yield to God the honour of being a keeper in order to their being hence assured of their safety and let to call upon him in the midst of their perils. On the contrary, even when we seem to have largely experienced what this protection of God implies, we yet instantly tremble at the noise of a leaf falling from a tree, as if God had quite forgotten us. (laughs) 
Another quote, a man called Barton Boucher. He says this, That love which engages to protect from every danger as a hen gathers her chicken under her wings in the hours of occupation and hurry, in the conflicts and perils of the day, in the helplessness of sleep, in the glare and heat of the noonday, amid the damps and dews of night, that unslumbering eye is still over every child for his good. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The fact that God is our hedge and our keeper is most definitely true. That things will happen that mystify us, trouble us, disorientate us at times, is true. We live in a fallen world. To try to pretend that a Christian existence is in some sort of bubble that's separated from that is just unbiblical and wrong. We hit things because of what is around us. Constantly. Constantly. My dream would be that God would be able to make us a church that doesn't just grow in numbers, but grows in depth. That our roots really do go down into him. And that we find ourselves to be those who ultimately, ultimately our hope is in the new heavens and the new earth. Not in a way that divorces us from the reality of the here and now. Not at all. In a way that actually equips us to engage fearlessly in the here and now in a way that so galvanises us to take on sacrifice, to meet it in the face and to keep going forward, because that's what that will do. Listen to what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Anyone here born again? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept, there it is, kept in heaven for you. That hedge is never going down. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. There it is again. Guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why would that happen? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ God will test your faith not to see if you're really saved but to bring it through as the genuine thing to show this is genuine this is real real faith that goes through the fire comes out shinier than ever comes out purer than ever comes out stronger than ever that is what God does through trials you are not to fear them that is why James says embrace them ah my friend welcome them as friends he says my friend what how could you say that I know what you're going to produce in me and though it might hurt for a little while I'm confident that my keeper who never sleeps or slumbers, will bring me through this to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this psalm teaches us. That's why this man with his family was ready to travel a perilous journey to Jerusalem. That's why we can lay down our fears, genuinely. Not in just some emotional, sentimental moment, but that we can say, God, I am giving this to you. I will not let these fears govern my decisions or my actions anymore. Okay? It's not just that you wait for some kind of emotional moment. You say, Lord, I'm going to be under your government. I'm going to follow you. 
So Paul says, I came to Corinth to plant a church with much fear and trembling. He still felt afraid, but he went. He did it. That's what we're after here. That is freedom from fear. When you still do what the Lord is calling you to do. So I want to just end by urging you, believer, Christian, believe. Believe. But have a proper understanding of what it means to believe. Ultimately, it means to believe him. That he will never leave nor forsake you. That he is sovereign. That he is never taken by surprise. And that he does ordain and permit hard things to happen. Painful things to happen. And that somehow, in his wisdom, it will all work together for your good. That is the truth. That is the truth. Satan can do nothing without the permission of God. He's on a reign, on a leash. And he only gets to win when people lose sight of God during the attack. But the Lord will keep you and he will not let your foot be moved. And if you don't know the Lord, I want to just say this to you. Why don't you lay down your futile fears? Why don't you lay down your independence? I'll do it my way. Why don't you lay down that, your pride? Why don't you just put yourself into the care of the Lord? You might say, how will I know, how will I know for sure that, you know, that he's really going to look after me? One more scripture says this. He who didn't spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. He who gave his only son, Jesus, to be crucified so that we might be forgiven, so that our debt might be cleared, so that we might be reconciled. He who did that, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How will he not? He's done that. How will he not do that? He's given of his best. He's given, he's, given, he's given of himself. How will he not look after you? How will he not provide for you? How will he not protect you? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. The Bible does it a lot. If you believe that, you should have no problem believing that. So I want to say to you, put yourself in his hands. Turn away from just autonomy. I'll do it my way. I don't need this God. Turn to him. Turn to him and receive forgiveness, new life, and whatever else in his wisdom he ordains to come your way. Should you pray? Father, we thank you that we get to be those who walk in freedom. Thinking today, freedom from the power of fear, governing fear. Thank you, Lord, that fear shall not be our master, for you are our keeper. And although we look to the hills and we see, well, this might happen, that might happen, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you, God, that we can take these psalms on our lips. Thank you, God, that we can be won over to the truth. I pray for all those here today who are battling with fear, fear of the future, fear of the past. Man, why did that happen? It might happen again or whatever. Just gripped. I pray for the freedom of the gospel to come in their lives, hearts and minds today. I pray that, please God, that you, by your spirit, would just bring, open up the eyes of people's hearts today to see your goodness, to see your sovereignty, to see your wisdom and your provision, I pray. Please God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we gather back to just meditate again on the wonder of who he is and song and music, we're going to take the bread and the wine.